Welcome to The Jay Martin Show. If you're new to the show, my name is Jay. I'm an investor looking for the smartest home for my cash. If that sounds like you, I think you're going to like what we do here. Now, my guest today is Ted Oakley, who is the founder of Oxbow Advisors. Always very informative having Ted on, and today was no exception. Now, before we jump in, right beneath this piece of content is a link where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter if you want to learn more about the psychology of decision-making, about the biases, heuristics, and blind spots that impact investors' best and worst decisions, then you're going to love my newsletter. It hits every Sunday morning. There's a link right beneath this piece of content where you can subscribe. Here is Ted Oakley. Enjoy. Okay, here I am with Ted Oakley, the founder of Oxbow Advisors. Ted, it's great to have you back on the show. It's always a pleasure chatting and learning from you. So I'm looking forward to this. Thanks, Jay. Let's start with this as a leading question, and then I'll probably just pull on some threads depending on which direction you go. When you look at the macro landscape right now in the United States, what themes or narratives do you feel like the public is misunderstanding right now? Well, you know, Jay, I think what happens with them is when you've had a, a rally in the stock market for four months or whatever this has been, uh, they tend to get confused with what's really going on underneath. And underneath, you know, you've got this gradual stagflation thing that's starting to eat away. Prices going up, but then margins coming down. Probably earnings are going to come down too in the next two to four quarters. And I don't think the public can see that because they only see sort of the headlines and they notice that, well, the S&P's back up and so you know, everything's okay when it's really not. You know, the valuations are certainly not there. Um, and I think that's what they fail to understand about this whole thing. And so you think, therefore, there's a bunch of investors watching the S&P just keep being convinced. It's been, a you're right, a pretty bullish four-month period. Um, and sometimes rising prices just kind of fuel themselves because people start chasing those rising prices and buying in for the simple reason that the price is going up. Um, and we often make the misunderstanding, don't we, that when the price of something goes up, investors often assume that means it's a good investment, not that, no, it's just more expensive now. Those are two different things. Is that correct? Well, that's true. But, and I would say that what happens with them is I think generally, and I've been noticed it for people over 60, they probably have more stock than they should have in terms of percentages in their overall. And so, and it's been, you know, it's been, I think what happened was in 22 was a tough year and 23 came along and they're like, well, you know, it gives it all back. Eventually you don't have to worry about it. Now it hasn't given it all back because we never made new highs on the NASDAQ or S&P, but they get this feeling that it's that way. When if you go look, and I'll tell people to do this, you go back two years ago to the day, almost to the day, the S&P is exactly the same price that it was. Exactly. And so okay. they really haven't made any money, but they think they have. That's where I'm, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense to me. Now, um, so given a couple of the metrics that you mentioned, you expect earnings possibly to come down the next couple of months, margins as well. Um, what's your take on the hard, hard landing, soft landing, recession? We're already in a recession. There's still the worst of it's coming. 
Where do you land in that camp, Ted? Well, it looks like, and I have no idea what the Federal Reserve's thinking or anything along that line, but it looks as though they're not inclined to be very dovish here, you know, over the next two or three months. That's what it looks like. Uh, if that is the case, and even if they don't raise rates in September, but they don't do anything else and keep the rates high, what you're doing is you're pressuring the economy. If you get borrowing costs up this much over that length of time, it eventually eats into the economy in many ways, though, from real estate to any borrowing that goes on private, whatever. And that we're just on the cusp of that, I think, where it's going to really start to show up. And that's that's where you start to see these lower economic numbers. And I think that's where we're headed. And so, you know, depending on who I talk to, I get some pretty optimistic outlooks um, and it gets some pretty dire outlooks. Now, an optimistic outlook would be, would say that, yeah, we're in for some volatility, no doubt about that, but the best bet is still long duration USA, right? This is, this is volatility. Um, it's short term and anybody who sells during, you know, volatility, volatility to the downside usually ends up regretting it. The strategy here is to buy and hold, be patient. It's a, it's a waiting game. Uh, the more dire outlook would say, okay, well, um, to your point, commercial real estate transactions are pretty much non-existent at this moment. Credit's drying up. Credit card applications are being rejected at a record rate. Auto loan delinquencies are skyrocketing right now. And it looks like there's some pretty hardcore scenarios unfolding. I think this recession is going to be worse than we've seen in a very long time. Uh, do either of those two land better with you, Ted? Well, one of the things that happens in these kinds of things is that people get caught up in this. And then all of a sudden, when the market comes along and says, oh, man, we're, we are going to have a recession, which is what I think. I think what will happen sometime in the months ahead is that you know, people will generally say, oh, my, these rates are high. We are going it's getting worse. Things are not good. And I have to tell you, I mentioned this to somebody earlier today. It really reminds me a lot of 1987 when we had that rally really from February up through July, big rally, market went up, you know, 30% or something. And then when you got into August, it had one more little minor peak. And, and then you obviously you had some selling and people, what, what was happening though underneath was that Greenspan was raising the rates on the bonds to show everybody that he was as tough as Paul Volcker was. Okay. And he got it up to a point. I just I remember this like it was yesterday, where the ten the five year bond, the five, was yielding almost ten percent for about a week. And when that happened, the next shoot of all was everybody said, you know what? If I can get ten percent on that five year bond, I'm goner. And I think more and more people are getting sort of that way with the stock market now, to where they can say, you know. If I can get five and a half or five and three quarter percent for really bulletproof safety stuff, I don't know. Do I want to risk it for another two or three or four? Maybe not. And so do you see that trend occurring? Because you mentioned a few minutes ago, you think maybe people are a bit overweight stocks right now. And is that what you're doing with your business and your portfolio? Oh, totally. Our portfolios are 50% in treasuries. We have three strategies, but they're all the same. I mean, they all have that much liquidity. And the reason being is valuations. You can't do a 
we have a 21 forward multiple. We have leading indicators hitting new lows. We have rates going up crazy. If you put all this together, then, then you'll see where, yes, the market's up. But if you look at the way you value things, that's not good. And you don't start bull markets from that level. That's the point. People say, well, we're in a new bull market. You can't be in a new bull market. You never made a new high. The, the, the high was, you know, the high was late 21. And so that that doesn't fly. And then the second thing is you you if you're doing that, okay, chances are, okay, whereas the news comes on in here, you get in a situation where um they'll have to correct into a mode. I, I look at it as opportunity. Don't get me wrong. I don't look at it as a negative. I mean, I think you if you have liquidity in a tougher time, you can really make a lot of money. And I, I that's the way we view it at Oxbow. But right now, value what we found things that are undervalued, but generally across the board, um, it's been tough to find good value. Can you walk my audience through your three strategies and and the nuanced differences in them, Ted? Yes. Uh, the first strategy is called conservative fixed income. And really it's a strategy that has 80% of the portfolio less than 48 months. So, you know, and it, it's going to be bulletproof stuff. I'm talking about very, very high grade municipals or U.S. treasuries, very, very high quality. And that's a high quality portfolio. It gets very little volatility because of the way it's structured. I'm not saying it doesn't get any, but it doesn't get much at all. And it's a safety valve for people. And so they put money over there knowing that no matter what happens over here, volatility, that's going to be okay. Um, and so the the middle section is a section we started in a strategy in 92 for people that had sold companies. They didn't want to be 100% in the stock market, and they didn't want to be in CDs or treasuries or something totally either. So we produce, we we really started something called the uh, high high income portfolio. It does not have bonds in it other than our cash holdings of treasuries right now, but straight bonds, no straight bonds. It has a lot of other things, though, things that pay between 5 and 10%. And it runs a full gamut of preferreds, convertible preferreds, convertible bonds, you know, REITs, uh, gas pipelines. We have a lot of things. We'll buy common stocks if they yield enough. You know, we, we've we've caught a couple yielding six and a half or seven, and that's okay for We'll take that. Um, and then on the, on the far side is nothing but common stocks. No, we don't do exchange-traded funds or indexes. We own the companies outright. And that portfolio too has about 50% liquid in it. And uh, it's done okay this year, really, uh, being 50 points in. But, you know, we've got a lot of backup in case something goes wrong, which uh, is a possibility right now. Yeah, 100%. Okay, now I have to ask between the conservative income fund, um, the high income portfolio, and the common stock portfolio, you've kind of got three different levels of risk tolerance, right? Built in there. That's the point. Um, what's getting the most attention right now from the money that you're seeing, Ted? Where does money want to go? Is it chasing safety or are people still looking for a, a bit of common stock returns? Well, I think if this didn't happen, they first started raising rates, Jay, but what's happened for, for sure in the last six months is everybody has money in all these different places, banks, different places it's strung out and they're looking up and realizing now that, hey, you know, I can take two, three, five, $10 million that I had over here just earning nothing. And I can put it into a treasury 
and I can get five and a half or five point six percent right now with no risk whatsoever. I'm talking about a 90, 90 day or less. And so all of a sudden, that's where we're we're seeing a lot of flow to that. Okay. And and I've asked a number of our investors, are you disappointed that we're not more in the stock market? And to a person, they said, not really. You know, I'm getting good money on this new money I sent you, this cash. And let's just hold it until we, we see some opportunity. They're fine with that. Now, that's what I see as a trend nationally, too. If you look at, at very, very high-grade you know, money market funds where they've got treasuries, that sort of thing, they're just garnering so much money right now. And now, there'll come a time when you get a market break and rates go down that that money has to go somewhere. And that's why in the in the conservative income portfolio, that's why we do have some long bonds, but it's only about 10%. When I say long, I mean six, seven, eight years, and we've got a couple that are 20, but I mean, you gotta have some mix in there. And I call it, uh, you've gotta have a portfolio that can really withstand a lot of pain and won't hurt you. But at the other hand, that it really sort of an all weather portfolio and that's what I call it. So that's, that's but I see, that's where I see the trend. I don't see people, I think if they're showing up and really throwing a lot of money into the indexes and ETFs at this stage, they're not they're not thinking right. They're not using their head because after you've had this kind of move, seeing what happened to you in 22, you might want to say, well, you know what I made, I'll give it a little more time before I decide to uh, go big in the equity side. Yeah, no doubt. And that's quite consistent with a lot of the money managers who manage high net worth clientele on the show recently, they're de-risking. And to your point, if you can get five, five and a half percent with zero risk, t- take that all day long right now. I'll, get, I'll give you a statistic, Jay. It's been a long time. I don't know, maybe three decades since I saw this. But if you take the T-bills, 30 to 60 day, 30 to 90 T-bills, okay, they're yielding more than the six month, nine month, one year, five year, 10 year, 30 year treasury. And they're also yielding more than, than the earnings yield on the S&P, which is only about 4.7 or 4.8% on a 21 forward multiple. So all of a sudden, what pays you the most? And I think that's where the money's going. Very interesting. Okay. I mean, it makes logical sense. Absolutely. Um, in the occurrence of some kind of a market break, Ted, are you looking at any industries? Here's my here's my question, I suppose. Do you think we're more likely to see a return to growth driving the broad equities market? Or um, do you think it's time for for value assets to have their their day? You know, is it are we on the precipice of some kind of a commodities market, raw materials market, infrastructure market, utilities? What do you think? Well, I guess I would answer that. <clears throat> We're not, we don't always look at, uh, you know, rolling from one sector to the other, but what here's what we see. And that is we're in, you know, the things we've added that got cheap really in the defensive sectors, you know, their healthcare, you know, and that type of thing uh, where they're all of a sudden they're cheap. And we'll add those kinds of things in here. I think what you're going to see is you'll be in a defensive sector mode for a while I personally, maybe this is not true, but it uh, doesn't work out this way, but I really feel like those big 10 stocks that ran the averages for that four or five month period, 
I think they peaked three or four weeks ago. They don't act right in here. And the selling's coming in. And then if you see people, all these people came in and said, hey, I got to buy the financials, got to buy the financials. And financials don't work in a recession. They just don't. Okay. So we don't own any, but I saw them come in and buy all the banks and they ran them up from say late May until mid July. And they had these moves in them. And now they've given it all back almost. Just go look at any of the banks. Okay. Uh, and maybe UBS is an outlier only because they were able to say, hey, we don't need the money from the government for Credit Suisse. But outside of that, you know, you've seen that happening. And I think people are got caught up in the cyclical side and all of that. And I think it's going to it'll really backfire on them. I don't think that'll work here. How closely do you watch the gold market? Pretty close. We own either miners or bullion and all three strategies. So, you know, we, we watch it. And do you see a bit of a decoupling right now between the gold price and the gold equities? And do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think generally people have given up on the gold miners in general because they, they've been fading back and they're like, oh no, we're going back into another, you know, 2015 or something. And we're going to go down and make, we have to go back to, I keep hearing this. We have to go back to 1500, 1600 on gold price. I don't think you get that though, because first of all, nobody owns it. Um, and certainly not in the U S foreigners do, but if you look at miners, they're not owned by anybody. Hardly. Uh, and so, yes, they decouple from the price to a degree. And that's why we own both, by the way, the, the bullion and the miners. But I'll give you a fact here. And that is, if you look at the miners, they're selling at very, very low price to cash flow multiples, very low. If you go back, uh, say, 12 or 14, 12, 13 years ago, and you look at those same miners, and now they're selling at single digit price to cash flow, they were selling at 30 and 40 times cash flow. You can see the spread in here. So probably the next five years, you've got some pretty good upside in the miners. It'll, it should They should catch up eventually with, with the bullion. They should. You know, it's it's like the per, it's like the perpetual waiting game. You know, diehard gold investors, right? There's always a bull market right around the corner, just around that corner. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're not like that. We, you know, if you look at our portfolios, you know, they're going to range anywhere from a 5% to maybe 7% gold and miners. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's, it's where these, when the wheels come off, okay, you, you want to have some hard currency. And I think that's, that's where we look at this and, yeah, you know, we could be wrong, but we'll, we, wheels haven't come off yet. So we don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> yeah. And I should mention, I make that comment from somebody who is uh, walking in relatively aggressively right now to the mid-tier gold producers because exactly what you just said, there's no competition. Right. Um, and I can buy these companies for super cheap with great tried and tested management, often on their fourth or fifth venture, right? Having two or three wins in their back pocket, success begets success, but nobody cares. Nobody cares right now, which is- Well, it was, it's, it's like when oil, I'll give you a little story. Back in 99, oil went, to nine dollars, eight and a half or nine dollars a barrel. And I used to ask the producers that were drilling how much it would cost to to lift that barrel of oil if you got to go drill for it right now. And I, I can't remember the number, but it was like $13, $14 a barrel to lift it and with the whole all cost in. I said, well, why don't you just go buy it then? And of course their answer was because it may still go down, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense, obviously, but 
what I'm saying on the miners is if you watch this, the biggies are going out and buying the small ones because it's cheaper. Yeah. And going yeah. out and buying a new mine. And that tells you where you are right there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Mark Bristow was making a bunch of noise last week just talking about the short-term mindset of some of the biggest capital allocators in the West. And he's, you know, raising a lot more money in the East. Uh, he's got a project in Pakistan he's trying to raise some money for now and having more success in Saudi Arabia uh, than he is, at, you know, in, in the US, in Australia, in the UK, trying to find financing for these projects because of their, you know, it's, it's long duration capital, right? Long duration. Back to that. It's uh, it's a long play. Takes patience. Takes patience. Hmm. Now, do you look outside of the precious metals? How like so? How closely do you watch the base metal space? Ted, you know, maybe copper, nickel to begin. You know, I just look at them from a distance, Jay. I mean, um, you know, at at a low in the market, you might see us buy something like Freeport MacRan or something like that. That is yeah. getting that area, but. You can only do so many things well, you know, and we don't feel yeah. like we, there's a lot of things we can't do well. We know that. And so we're not a metals trader or anything like that. We have gold and the miners for a certain reason. And uh, I would have to tip my hat to somebody else that knows a lot about the base metals and where you ought to be and when you ought to be there. Cause I don't, I don't think we are that group. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, okay. What's your take Ted on the, um, all of the commentary coming out surrounding uh, the BRICS nations and an alternative trading currency, maybe a gold-backed currency, maybe some kind of a basket of currencies as an alternate for global trade outside of the U.S. dollar. What do you make of this? Well, you know, Jay, they would certainly like to. You know, I think everybody would know that. And I mentioned to somebody this morning, I said, I know the R and that C and the brick. They know they would like to. <laughs> so, and you can throw India, India in there also because they watched what happened when when the U.S. froze those assets of of Russia, and that was a big turning point. In my opinion, it was a turning point because I'm a foreign country. I'm like, hey, I don't think I'm gonna get a lock lock my reserves up in that dollar right now because if they're locked up in there somewhere and they decide to cut me off, they can't. I think that's going to really, in the long run, backfire on them. And I've listened to some really good people on both sides. And it's probably a while in the making. But in the end, they probably will have something that competes. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it probably would be some prorated type currency of their own. And uh, I think if they can get away with it, I certainly think they would do it. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. And you're right. Yeah, I agree. We'll look back on that moment, that sanctioning of US dollar reserves a lot differently, probably 10 years down the road. And it was a massive turning point for a lot of central banks globally to begin rebalancing their reserves um, and acquiring, among many other things, a, a lot of gold record setting uh, gold acquisitions. Um, Ted, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and chatting with me. I really appreciate uh, getting the chance to, to uh, learn what you're paying attention to and where you're allocating capital and uh, what's catching your eye in the market. So thanks so much. Jay, thanks for having me. All the best. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.